Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 76. I uh, wanted to say that I hope everybody had a good holiday, a good Christmas, and New Year's. I uh, wanted to thank uh, Reed Lackey for being on the last couple of episodes. I uh, got a fair amount of good feedback on those, so thanks everybody for listening and, uh, and for chiming in. I also wanted to thank everybody for filling out the survey. It did, uh, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of people, but it was enough, I, I think, for a good sample. And so, um, yeah, it, it wound up being <laughs> interesting. There, You guys, uh, in some cases, overwhelmingly chose things that I did not expect. Uh, I know that the episodes tend to go a little long, uh, and I expected people to not be happy about that. And as it happens, everyone thinks it's just right. Uh there's one or two people that said it was too long and a handful of people said it was too short, which I have to assume they didn't listen to that Avengers episode, right? Or the uh, Woody Allen episode, which is like two and a half hours. But, um, but anyway, yeah, thank you uh, to everybody for that. Um, I also wanted to, uh, in way of announcements, I wanted to uh, reiterate that we do have a uh, monthly newsletter that we send out. Um, to be honest, it's nothing remarkably special it's really just kind of a recap of what has happened on the website over the last month um but if you are the type that doesn't really come back to the website on a regular basis which you don't have a great deal of reason to it doesn't get updated that often but um but you would like to know what has been happening um go to more than one com. you'll see a thing that says uh sign uh, you know sign up for the newsletter or something like that uh click on that and uh, fill it out and then you will be added to the list so uh, I think that is about it right now. Um, we will have uh, an announcement next episode about um, something that Josh and I will be doing that is going to last, I think, the rest of our lives as far as more than one lesson is concerned. Um, but uh, but we'll wait for that. So uh, I will now welcome in, well, I will now say hello, Josh. Josh Long is here. Josh. Hello. How you doing? You have to welcome. Well, you don't have to welcome me because you're in my house right now. That's true. Yes, we so we usually record at my place, but uh, my place is overrun by well, my wife and her assistant. But that's you know, <laughs> in a one bedroom apartment, that can count as being overrun. You can overrun something with two people. Absolutely, that can't be that big of a thing. If it's like a country, probably can't overrun it with two people. True, depends on the people. And that's like true. if it's King Kong and Godzilla, it could be gigantic. Yeah, but they're not even people. Not really, man. This doesn't work at all. So um, bad turn of phrase. So yes, uh, well, uh, thanks for being back on the show. I keep saying that as if you're a, a frequent guest. I like I like the idea that people who are newly coming to the show will just think that I'm a guest, and they'll be like, maybe that next one he won't have that guest on there. It'll be a 
won't be so messy. Every once in a while, you have work that you need to do, and then I'll bring on, you know, like a like a Jeff Newberg or something like a guest host, and uh, that must that's probably a welcome reprieve for some people. Probably so because I here's the thing I I also put a, a, like a separate like a secret survey in the field about what does everybody think of Josh and uh, mm-hmm. again overwhelmingly they hate you almost as much as I do that's what I thought they even wrote that did they really yeah like under you know additional comments they said clearly Tyler you hate Josh and I feel like we can't match that but we're close. They're trying. They're really they're trying. trying. Absolutely. You, know, you can't fault people for yeah. trying that hard. I prefer an active listener. Yeah. As opposed to a passive one. So, right. Like me. Yeah. That's, by the way, that's why I hate you. I think I'm getting a little too far away from the mic. I'm back. There you go. Yeah. Hey, everybody. <laughs> I'm just trying to up the quality here so we can win a podcast award next year. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. So, hey, everybody. Thanks for voting for us for the podcast award. Once again, we did not win. Um, again, I didn't expect to because I know that the uh, the audience for this show is fairly small, especially compared to the uh, the other shows. But um, I uh, I am not bitter about this at all, except a little bit um, <laughs> because we lost to a podcast called The Ardent Atheist. Um, I, I'm I get a little bit put off when atheist podcasts get nominated in the religion category. Um, admit, admittedly, it is religion inspiration. So there is that, uh, and I don't know what the ardent atheist is. But if if it is like uh, some other atheist podcast, then I feel like it's probably not that inspirational either, because all it is is te- is saying everybody else is stupid. It could be maybe uh, that's inspirational. Maybe it's all the encouraging things about not believing in God. Absolutely, Absolutely. there could be a podcast for that. Maybe that's hey, what I it just is. I just finished reading The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, and uh, there's a lot of inspirational stuff about. Uh, the power of the human spirit. Well, I'm sorry I said spirit. I should not uh, have said no, that. I shouldn't have said that. But, uh, but yeah, that, that turned out to be an interesting book. But uh, it's, it is fascinating uh, how, how not aggressively atheistic, but how joyously uh, atheistic she was. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so... Uh, but yeah, so we didn't win, and it's not that big of a deal. Thanks to everybody for, for uh, supporting us anyway. Um, it's always fun to be... Uh, included in that and it's nice to know that uh, we are supported so okay i think that's i think that's everything as far as the announcements um except to say as far as i know sometime in the near future we don't know when um josh's uh web series the unemployed mind will be uh, released on youtube it's on it's on v- uh, vimeo right now uh and i know that for some people maybe with a certain device or something that's harder to upload mm-hmm. uh than youtube so that's going to be happening sometime in the future and we'll let you know when that does so if you all want to see them all now you can some right. of them will be coming down from vimeo for a little while as they are released on youtube so oh, okay. if you want to go now and watch all of them absolutely you can and if you are one of the uh, one of the wonderful people who donated to the uh, to the Kickstarter, we are in the process of getting your DVDs and uh, other such swag ready. It will be ready. It will be on its way to you very soon. We hope. And speaking of uh, Josh's uh, films and projects and stuff, uh, we wanted to remind everybody that you can purchase a copy of For the Title for merely ten for. Ten dollars plus a dollar seventy nine shipping, so you can go the more, to more than one lesson dot com for that. So okay, but we will move on now. So uh, I feel like I should give a slight uh, slight preface here. Uh, so last episode 
we talked about Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. And one of the things that we talked about was uh, the idea of feeling that one does not matter and that one's life is insignificant for whatever reason. You know, you're not, uh, you know, you're not conquering the world or anything like that. You just live kind of a, kind of a small, quiet life. Uh, and for some people, that causes them to feel unimportant. And so we talked about the kind of the, the, not necessarily the depression, but just the hopelessness that can come with that. The, the feeling of, uh, I, you know, there are 6 billion people on earth or is it seven now? I never it's remember. Closer to seven. I, I think, think it's closer to seven. So there are 7 billion people. You're only one of them. And even within that, there have been countless more billion that have lived in the history of the earth. And you're only one of them. How could you possibly be important and that sort of thing? And so, uh, so George Bailey feels that and feels that, you know, w- when he compares his life to what it could have been as opposed to what it is, he finds himself feeling quite, uh, quite sad. So, uh, so I was thinking about that and I realized that I could sort of turn that into a bit of a series. Um, it just sort of came about organically cause I was already thinking of, uh, talking about today's movie. I had been, it had been sort of on the schedule for, I think a year or two. And, um, and so I saw an opportunity here because it's so it sort of explores the theme a little bit more. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the movie Super, written and directed by James Gunn. That's just plain Super, not Super Eight, not Superfly, not Superman. Is super, there any? Are there any more Supergirl? I'm sure, there are Super Duper. I don't think Super Duper is one. Yeah, it is. I don't remember it. Okay. My super ex-girlfriend. Oh, yeah. That's kind of one. It is that one. That's the one we're talking about. We call it super. <laughs> oh, is that sure. what we're talking about? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I haven't seen it then, but I hear it's great. Fans like me, real fans, we call it super. And so I, I understand why you might have gotten confused. So I'm um, confused. And that's the thing. When, when you and I watched Super the other day, I was that was looking just a for, coincidence. I was looking for Luke Wilson the whole time. I couldn't <laughs> find him. But, uh, but yeah, so it came out. Uh, in 2011, it was one of my 10 favorite movies of that year, much to my surprise. Uh, I thought I would like it because I enjoy the work of uh, James Gunn. For those that don't know, he wrote uh, the 2004 Dawn of the Dead, which is a better movie than it had any right to be, um, especially because it was directed by Zack Snyder, who has since gone on to uh, go insane. And hey, he's going to be directing a, a super movie. Is he really? He's directing Man of Steel. That's the new Superman movie. It is. Yeah, is, we'll see how that goes. Is it gonna Is it gonna continue from Superman Returns? Do you know? No, I think it's I think it's separate than that because I think people. Though I thought Superman Returns was was okay, I didn't love it, but I thought it was all right. Some people really hated it because it was so serious. I'm one of those people, not because it was so serious, just because I thought it was awful. Why do you think it was awful? I hated nearly everything about that movie. Oh man. <laughs> I didn't. I thought uh, I Brandon like- Routh did okay. I thought he was a fun, bumbling Clark Kent. I thought Kevin Spacey was a... Uh, I think he could have been more fun and goofy, but I liked how bitter and angry he was as uh, Lex yeah. Luthor. And uh, I believe Parker Posey's in that, right? She is, is, yeah. I like her. Didn't, I usually like her. Didn't like her. Man, oh, man. I like Kevin Spacey. You just hate Christ analogy. <laughs> if there's one thing is. I know about Josh Long, it's that he <laughs> hates Christ analogy. That was my problem with Superman Returns. <laughs> Maybe I did have a problem with it that it was so serious because the plot is so silly and 
it's like it's taken out of a cartoon and and maybe in trying to make that or one could say comic book (laughs) but there are comic book movies that are like you know bad a lot of the batman movies are serious and they're fine but it's it's more like it's more like maybe it was an episode of underdog and then they just uh, made it into a movie and did it really seriously. There's so many elements in that movie that I'm like, it does. This does not make any sense, and it's too obvious here, staring in my face. It doesn't make any sense, or uh, stabbing you in the chest with kryptonite doesn't make sense. It wasn't in the chest; it was in the side. Whatever. You know, like Jesus. Yeah, but uh, I actually there are a lot of elements that I, I think all the elements were there for it to have been a good movie. Um, but I think it has, it sounds strange, uh, it is fairly well known that Brian Singer did not direct the third X-Men movie so that he could direct uh, Superman Returns, and you can tell that he loves Superman. He loves it so much that he's he does seem to be trying really hard to get you to take it as seriously as he does, to the point where after a while it's like, man, you, you take it so seriously that there that any joy in the Superman series is gone. And I'm not necessarily a fan of Superman, not like I am X-Men or Batman or Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go you go back and watch that Richard Donner version, and it's, you know, it's serious, but it's fun as well, you know? Well, and, Superman's a lot harder to do, just in general, I think, because since it's such an old one, since then, a lot, a lot of newer comics have made things more feasible, and more, like you have all these things that are built into the Superman myth that you have to that you have to do. Like mm-hmm. he he has seemingly endless powers, yeah, but he has one he has one flaw, and it's kryptonite, which are shards of a planet that's been blown up, yeah, uh, you know, light years away or something. So it's if you have to work inside that construct, it's it's hard to make it make sense. I almost feel like. You can make a better Superman movie by just making it campy, which to a to a degree, some of the ones from the seventies are like that. Yeah, you got you got to be careful with that though. You don't want to go too campy with it, but maybe. Not. Um, but yeah, so we are not talking about Superman Returns. Sorry no. about that, everybody. Um, but yeah, so we are talking about uh, James Gunn's Super, starring Rain Wilson, Ellen Page, Liv Tyler, and Kevin Bacon. Uh, and others, obviously, but those are the most notable uh, characters and actors in it. Um, and uh, when I first heard about the film, my co-host of Battleship Pretension, David Bax, had had talked about it. Uh, they had shown uh, a scene or two at Comic-Con, and the way he described it, it sounded just delightful. And James Gunn, who had directed a movie called Slither, uh, which is funny and dark and gross and f- just it's everything that I not everything that I want a horror movie to be sometimes I want horror movies to be more serious but mm-hmm. there was a lot there that I really responded to um, and so I was very excited about it and I don't even really I, I'll give a, a very brief summary because it's a, fer- a fairly simple film uh, Rain Wilson plays a short order cook who is married to this uh, you know beautiful woman who has struggled with uh, drug addiction in the past, and then she winds up getting kind of involved with the wrong people, uh, namely Kevin Bacon as a... He's always the wrong people. I'd say that. That's probably right. I saw Footloose. Getting those kids dancing. That's right. That's not what we like here on More Than One Trouble. But, um, but yeah, so Kevin Bacon is a drug dealer and kind of a a very low-level crime lord with henchmen and stuff. And so uh, she winds up leaving Rain Wilson for Kevin Bacon. And so 
uh, Rain Wilson feeling desperate and angry and hating himself. He decides he's going to take on a uh, <laughs> a superhero persona called the Crimson Bolt, um, and he's going to fight crime with a special eye towards saving his wife from this horrible uh, criminal and stuff like that. So, um, And then along the way, he gets a kid sidekick called Bolty, played by Ellen Page. So that is... Uh, and it's just about their exploits as crime fighters and sort of learning on the job and that sort of thing. So there is there is a lot of comedy in it. Um, his uh, his slogan? What do you call it? Uh, his uh, oh shoot, battle cry is yeah, what they call yeah. it in the his, tick. His battle cry is "Shut up, crime!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it speaks to the That's character not being. And his weapon of choice is just a big wrench that he just hits people. <laughs> There's, that he hits people with over the head. And, and my, my favorite part about the wrench thing is that when he is the scene where he's deciding that he's going to get, like he decides he has to have a weapon. Yeah. And instead of having a long montage where we see him trying a lot, out a lot of different things, you see one scene where he takes the wrench and he smashes like a cantaloupe or something yeah. with it. And he's like, that'll do. And that's yeah. it. And they really do. That's a, that's one of the things that I like about James Gunn is that he understands how we watch movies and yeah. what we come to expect. Yeah. And you know, like there's a, there's a slight amp up in music and he's like, I'm going to need a weapon. And you know there's going to be a montage of him trying different things. Yeah. But boom, first thing, I'm able to smash this cantaloupe with this wrench problem solved yeah you know which is great and that's that's one of the things that i like about them am i am i jumping the gun too much no, go right the gun the- ah. um uh one of the things that i like about the movie is the way that it's uh it, it comes at a good time because there are so many superhero movies out right now like you're you get easy three of them every every year um, every comic book character they can find to make a movie out of now they're, they're doing it. So it's become such a common thing and a lot of them kind of are the same in a lot of ways that mm-hmm. it's, it's ripe for parody right now. Yeah. And I think he does that well. in, like you said, taking something that we expect to see, you know, in if whatever superhero movies come out next year that have new superheroes, they're going to have a montage like that where he mm-hmm. figures out his weapon or he figures out his costume or whatever. Yeah. And, um, uh, to, to take that idea and just play a kind of play a joke on it is yeah. clever. But the film is not merely a parody. That's that's that is one of the things that I like about James Gunn as a filmmaker, as I said with Slither, like he just he incorporates elements of all different types of movies and actually makes it hang together fairly well. Though I do know that there are people that don't agree with me. There are people that say that the kind of the ultra violence of the film undercuts the comedy or vice versa. Mm. Um, I think the tone remains the same throughout. There is a tone of... Uh, there's a pathetic quality to the main character that makes him funny and um, sympathetic at the same time. Uh, there is an air of sadness that permeates the whole film. Even a character like uh, Kevin Bacon, who is kind of a smooth-talking guy, but underneath, you do see that, like... he, Not that he hates himself, but that just that he maybe he he'd rather not be doing this like yeah. he, he doesn't he doesn't seem the, totally committed to what it is he does yeah he's not the happiest guy either yeah and so and and the the film's willingness to sort of dabble in the t- you know a, a, and explore the type of people that would become superheroes or supervillains mm-hmm. 
and recognize that it does not stem from happiness. <laughs> you know, it doesn't stem from contentment, and that's you yeah. know some of the themes that we'll be talking about today. But uh, his willingness to do that is something that I think really served the film well. Yeah, and to, to speak quickly to the the violence issue you were talking about, I, I feel like. And violence isn't for everybody, so granted, if you're not someone who can deal with violence, maybe not. I, I, ultraviolence might be appropriate. Yeah. Um, you, you should know about this film if you haven't seen it yet. It is very violent. It is more, probably more so than you will expect. Yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of gruesome imagery and things. But I... Yeah, at the very least you're going to get people having their skulls broken with a wrench. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that seems, it seems funny and goofy. Then you realize that you're not watching home alone and that you're going to see blood and yeah, stuff like it that. It looks, it looks pretty bad when it, when it happens. And I think that is the, is the point of it actually being in there. And I think it's good that it's still in there because again, when we see a lot of these superhero movies, they're, they're all rated PG 13. You know, you have Mm -hmm. lots of people falling off cliffs where it's all clean. You don't see anything, or you have people getting hit with stuff and they just get knocked over. There's no bruises, no blood, no anything. And there's, uh, if you try to delve at all into the reality of someone actually doing the sort of things that a superhero does, which is what, what we're seeing in this movie. Um, it, it, it has to be very dangerous and very violent, and uh, and I think it is appropriately so in the movie. And then, did you ever see the movie Kick Ass? I never did. No. Okay. Uh, I actually own it. I uh, I like it uh, more than I expected to. And I know there are some people that hate it. Now, those came out the same year. Did I they? believe so. Yes. Yeah. Um, Kick Ass, however, is based on a on a comic book that's been mm-hmm. around for a while. So, um, whereas Super is a, an original uh, creation. But um, but yeah, Kick Ass. That one. It is ostensibly a lot like super there's humor there's graphic violence um and there's you know kind of demented heroes and villains and but the way that it is directed by matthew vaughn and i think it's fine uh he went on to make uh uh, x-men first class am i right about that i think i am okay just wanted to make sure um and so so he directs it well, but he he makes it so stylistic that after a while, it does, it, it almost betrays the source material and the script a little bit. It's still fun to watch, but when you compare it to something like Super, which throughout it all does have a an air of reality, even at the, even toward even at the end where like these two people take out like a whole mansion of bad guys and stuff, um, it does maintain. Uh, Plausibility, whereas mm. Kickass does not. Um, you know, you still have a character who like flies a jetpack and shoots a bazooka and stuff like that. <laughs> so, um, and like a, you have a little girl who's probably I think twelve. You know, take out like a whole room full of guys. Um, but uh, but yeah, so there there are two films that they they did come about at at that time in superhero. You know, in the superhero subgenre, where there are just so many of them that they're like, "Oh, let's explore this a little bit." Mm-hmm. But I think Super does a much better job of actually exploring what this would be like in real life. Yeah, because I think that's that's the intention more yeah. in Super. And now, I haven't seen Kickass, so I don't know so much about it. But I feel like there there's more that Super wants to say about not only the mentality of wanting to save other people and wanting to be a hero, but also just about a culture that puts people into that mindset. And about, I think it has some interesting things to say about American culture. And, you know, 
if you take uh i'm i'm a fan of uh watchmen the uh the graphic novel um and i read it uh, a couple years before the film came out and that's another film one directed by by our own uh zack snyder and um and that was a frustrating film as well because the graphic novel is all about like what if heroes and villains were just they still had you know some of them had powers some of them had you know skills or mechanical skills or something like that um but they are still they're just the same flawed human beings that you and I know um some of them are and then the ones who maybe are a little bit better at being heroes or or fighting are also a little crazier you know there's a character named Rorschach who reminds me a lot of various characters in Kick-Ass and uh, Super but um, but of course it's Zack Snyder who made 300 and he uh, he kind of he I, I don't know if you've seen did you see the film Watchmen Yes, I did. Okay. I feel like he kind of undercuts the reality of the story he's telling with, you know, this really hyper-stylized thing where, you know, the film starts out with a fight in somebody's apartment and a person, like, throws a punch that, uh, like, takes out, you know, a brick wall or something. It's like, well, these are just regular people. They're very good at fighting and they're strong, but they're not superhuman strong. Yeah. And so that should not have happened. That person's fist would be broken. And then people would be, would be able to figure out who, you know, who killed this guy. Cause like his fist is broken. Oh, probably from when he smashed those bricks. <laughs> and so, um, so that's the thing. And we keep bringing up all these other movies, whether it be Superman or kick-ass or Watchmen. We bring, I bring them up to emphasize how super, Excels and what makes it so special? It it very very adequately, not adequately. I mean, I think I think it excels at creating our reality and having this is what and saying this is what superheroes would be in our reality. Yeah, uh, both the physical practical element and probably the mental and emotional element as well. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's the, maybe the thing I like the most about it. Um, I also, like I said, I like how tonally it hangs together while seeming to do a lot of different things. Uh, I think the acting is great all around. Mm. Um, Rain Wilson, who, of course, people will know primarily from The Office, um, plays a character that is... He's not like Dwight from The Office, but he is a little bit. Um, yeah. And that's just sort of... I think that might be Rain Wilson's acting style, just playing characters that are very determined no matter what it is they're doing. Whether yeah. it be, you know, ordering paper supplies or something like that, or going after criminals. Um, and what's more is the character, Frank Darbo, he's just a short order cook, and you've, you've seen Rain Wilson. He's not a, an, a conventionally attractive person. He doesn't have a great body or anything like that. Um, and so he just feels average and unimportant, and but he still can lock into things and maybe if he locks into those things that will make him a little bit more than normal above average and that sort of thing but we'll get more to that in a minute so um uh and well let me i'll 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 throw to you um as far as the acting and the cast did you did you like it were you kind of iffy about it what did you think i think i liked it i don't i don't feel like i don't feel like i came away from it saying thinking that acting was fantastic but, uh, I mean, I, I don't feel like there's anyone who's distracting. I feel like it's, 
it's all. I feel like everyone does a does a good job with it, and I feel like it's it's pretty appropriate casting, especially especially with Rain Wilson. If you think about it, he if there was going to be someone who was a depressed guy who kind of goes nuts and starts, you know, hurting if not killing everyone he thinks is a problem to society, I feel like he might look like that. Oh yeah, probably yeah. <laughs> if you saw him on TV, um, uh, and I think. I don't know. There, there are moments when I can't tell if I think Ellen Page is over the top a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I can't. I, I could see it, but I so enjoy what she's doing. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like I, I never felt like it distracted from the film at all. I don't feel like it's. I don't feel like it's inconsistent with the character, really. Um, and I think the character was important, and specifically the way she plays it. Like yeah. for for Frank doing this is life and death. He's very aware of the moral implications of it. And the fact that he's always questioning himself and asking whether he should be doing this, like speaks to that. Whereas she is more the energetic young person who's already yeah. obsessed with comic books. She's in 100% all the time. Yeah. And, and her enthusiasm no, sort of implies that maybe she does not totally grasp the con- life and death consequences yeah. of what she's doing. And I, I think her actions in the film also show that she yeah. doesn't totally grasp it. And I mean, maybe that's maybe that's the reason for her having to be kind of that over-the-top character because uh, that, that's probably the difficulty of that role is on the page you look at the script and you say, well, this is, this is a girl who works at a comic book store and as soon as she finds that she gets a hint that someone she knows might be acting out a superhero lifestyle she's just in right away yeah. she wants to help him and she never questions whether or not she wants to be part of that so she has to be a little little bit of damaged goods herself yeah and i th- and i think you do get that and you see yeah. like there's a there's a very very awkward one could say a reverse rape scene of sorts where yeah. she uh not, not not well maybe i don't know it's hard to explain uh <laughs> can it be a function of self-esteem anyway uh but she keeps coming on to to Frank, and and uh, he says, "No, I'm married. I don't want to do this." And then, but she will not be deterred, and mm. so she just goes after him. And it's a it's a very disturbing scene. And mm-hmm. you realize, like like you said, damaged goods. Like she re- there is something going on with her. Yeah. And I kind of like that it doesn't go into what that might be. Mm-hmm. Um, you're sort of just left to wonder, like, who is this person, and why is Frank trusting her? Who is that masked woman? Bolty, that's her name, and I <laughs> it's love it. Bolty. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, and I think the the uh, chemistry that the two of them have is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and uh, and she does really inject the film with some life. Not to imply that it is lifeless, but after a while, it's like, okay, I kind of get. I kind of get who Rain Wilson is. I get Liv Tyler and Kevin Bacon. I think I get the tone of this in general. Then she comes along, and she's this little firecracker of a character, yeah. and and it, and suddenly you're paying attention again. But uh, yeah, but yeah. So, and I, I thought the acting was yeah. I'm not sure if I would ever say like oh what wonderful performances, but as far as commitment level, I think Rain Wilson is totally committed to his character and does everything that character requires. Um, and I'll also single out. Uh, and here's a fun thing for Christians, by the way. So when I was younger, uh, and I didn't actually watch this, but I knew of it. There was a, something called, I believe it was called Bible Man. Yeah, Bible Man was a thing. Yeah, played by Willie Ames from Charles in Charge. 
Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. He played Buddy in Charles in Charge. Wow. And then he went on to play Bible Man, which was like a superhero who was, uh, you know, uh, a Christian and stuff. It was a giant Bible. But No, that's Salty oh, the I'm Songbook. I'm Salty the yeah. Songbook. So, yeah, you're not going to get these references by me. I got it. Um, <laughs> these, are, these are fun things for anybody who knows something about child Christian culture. Oh, yeah. And I haven't but, even delved uh, into Adventures in Odyssey yet. Oh, man. But... Uh, but yeah, and so uh, so Bible Man was kind of this super hokey thing because, and this was incidentally before like the superhero craze, really. I mean, there were comic books and there were like animated shows, but the idea of a live action superhero was pretty rare. And so, you know, Bible Man would come in and he would like fight sin and stuff in the name of Jesus. And, and that's all well and good, but of course it was totally clunky, totally cheesy. Again, I didn't watch it, but I had seen some of it here and there. We were a little... I think we were a little too old for it, actually. Probably, yes. Because it, uh, it's looking here like it came out in 1996. 96? I know. Unless there's another... This is the only one I'm finding from for Bible Man. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, and it is the one with Willie Ames in it. Wow, 96. For some reason, I thought it was like 92, but I guess... Yeah, I guess I'm just misremembering. In which case, yes, that's way beyond us. Yeah, it does. I'm sorry. Like, we're way beyond that. That's <laughs> not... It's not like we, you and I weren't able to grasp it. I couldn't quite get it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and so uh, in the uh, in the film, uh, it's worth noting that Frank is... I'd probably say religious. Uh, he believes in God. He seems to be... Christian maybe because he does reference the Bible and stuff like that and mm-hmm. he he is not and there is a show that he as he's scanning through the channels a show called the Holy Avenger and the Holy Avenger is played by Nathan Fillion who was in Slither but also in uh, most notably in Firefly yeah and is now on a show called Castle yeah um, and he's got a huge fan base and he's just he's a fun actor now Nathan Fillion if I'm remembering correctly he's also in that uh, Doctor Horrible. Sing along blog, right? I believe he is. I've never seen it. I I feel, and I actually don't know too much about it because I've never seen the whole thing. But I feel like he plays a similar kind of uh, almost tacky hero type. I could see that he Maybe. does give that. He does have kind of a. There's a reason that he was cast in Firefly in the part that he was. He does kind of have a. He has an archetypical quality to him. He does, yeah. And I, I don't know if maybe I'm thinking of something else that he's in, but maybe it's the Doctor Horrible one. I feel like I've seen him in other things where he is this uh almost the overly stereotypical hero type yeah and, and he so, and not not meaning that that's done poorly like no it's done great it's it's the sort of thing where he knows he's playing yeah. an over over the top stereotype and he he knows how to do it and it's funny and he was also in a movie that came out a few years ago called waitress uh in which he played just a normal guy and he can play that as well it's just you know he kind of I wouldn't say he's typecast, but I think Hollywood recognizes, oh, there's a very there's something he's very good at playing, and why would we cast somebody else? He ha- he comes with a built-in audience, um, and so let's give it a shot. And he plays the Holy Avenger just right. He doesn't, I feel like, you know, those sequences are over the top, of course, um, and uh, clearly making fun of Bible Man, but, you know, Bible Man probably deserves to be made fun of. Um <laughs> But I think Nathan Fillion plays the part as if he were an actor playing this part, not Nathan Fillion playing an actor playing this part. Right. Um, he doesn't <laughs> seem to necessarily be winking uh, too much at us. Uh, and it's worth noting that uh, the the villain of the Holy Avenger is a character named Demon Swill, or Demon's Will, whatever you want to call it, uh, and that that character is played by James Gunn. So, um, 
under under like a lot like probably more makeup than that cheap tv show could have afforded it's so much makeup <laughs> and they they made him look up the the silliest stereotypical devil you can you can imagine he's all yeah. painted red with big horns and he sticks out his tongue a lot for yeah. almost almost <laughs> but he's also wearing like a leather jacket because you know yeah how, you know because he's tough it's the modern day yeah so um so yeah, and and it's actually uh, as Frank is you know praying and asking for guidance, you know that he comes across this thing, and uh, and he never thought in terms of superheroes. Uh, he's not a comic book geek or anything like that, uh, but he runs across the Holy Avenger, and the Holy Avenger says, you know, uh, I wish I had written it down, but something like, you know, the only thing keeping people from being a, being super real superheroes is the choice to do so. And so Frank takes that as a, a sign from God because, hey, it's the Holy Avenger. And uh, then in a weird, weird sequence, uh, a dream sequence, uh, Frank's, oh, brain, yeah. Frank's brain gets replaced. Not replaced, but gets no. a, a little makeover. Uh, a, a giant finger of God, I suppose it is, comes in and touches his brain. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's well, weird. that's after uh, these weird tentacles uh, tear his head open. That's true. Exposing I about his that. brain and then running a paint roller over it. And then God touches his brain and that's he wakes important. up sure that now he knows what he has to do. He has to go and say he has to become the Crimson Bolt and save his wife. Yeah. So <laughs> that that's funny because it works as a dramatic device for why does he why does he go this way? But then at the same time, it shows us again, he's a little bit off yeah like there is something a little bit wrong with him that he feels like he's had this experience and just goes wholeheartedly with it um he's like somewhere between prophet and crazy homeless man yeah um because why would you believe that but then if you had reason to believe it you would have to believe it with all your heart of course and and he was in a vulnerable place because his wife had just left him for this sleazy guy who yeah who seems to care you know uh, Kevin Bacon's character does seem to care about uh, Liv Tyler but not so much that it's going to inconvenience him um, yeah and so uh, so I'll, when the time and he's a, he's a man easily inconvenienced and so <laughs> when the time comes uh, you know Frank knows that. Uh, that this is going to be very bad for for Liv Tyler in the, yeah. in the long run, but um, but I wanted to talk about I wanted to talk about Frank's journey once he feels the touch of God on his brain, <laughs> um, but also before that I want the, the I I wrote down the thing that he prays, and it's interesting because he does sort of live for his wife. I mean, he write, he draws pictures of like the two most important moments of his life. One was of course his wedding day, which I'm not going to argue with that. And then the other is when he helps a cop get a criminal or something like that by simply saying he's in there officer. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's kind of a, seems like maybe a silly, just sort of intro thing to the movie, but I feel like it's very central to, Oh yeah. To the film because the, he, he is fixated on times that he was happy and that he felt important. Yes. He felt loved and needed. Yeah. Uh, in that moment. And so, uh, and so of course, the, so he draws pictures and those are the two best moments of his life. So now of course his wife leaves him. So now where is he? Cause that other moment is gone Yeah, and he can't get it back or can he? And there, therein lay his, uh, 
his little journey there. But uh, so after his wife leaves him, he is praying. And this is the prayer. I will not try to mimic the way he does it because it's wonderful. He says, God, please guide me. Tell me what to do. I hate you, God. I'm sorry I said that. It just seems so unfair, God. Other people have goodness. They have good things. They have love and tenderness. People who care about their lives, not humiliated at every turn. Other people have things, God, even the starving children in Africa. Even their parents love them. Why was I so unlucky to have my soul born into this disgusting me? This ugly face, this hair, this hair that doesn't comb, and this dumb, idiotic personality. Other people stare at me, God, I can tell. They are amazed at how something so stupid and idiotic can even exist. Why am I that? It is... It's very... It's funny at times, but it's harrowing to see him pray that. And maybe not everything in here, but I know I have prayed something like that. It just... There are times, and I've said it on the show before, like in my testimony, there are times where it's just like, I, I, the last thing I want to be is me. I Just other people seem to have it more together. They seem to have, you know, they're better looking than I am. They've got more money. They have more practical skills or whatever. And here I am doing a podcast that lo- that loses a podcast award in the religion category to a an atheist show. Like, that's who I am. You know, and of course, by the way, I'm bringing that up uh, facetiously. I don't, that doesn't bother me that much. Um, but, uh, but you know, on my, on my darker days, like that's what I think of is I think, why am I this? And you, and I wind up being not necessarily mad at God, but just like, Oh, so many other people have so much more than I do in some way, shape or form. Um, and so then he has his dream and decides, aha, this is how I will make my difference. This is how I'm going to be somebody important. This is my opportunity um, to be more than this stupid, idiotic thing that I am. And I don't know. It's And it's weird because the, the film, to its credit, does not condemn that choice, nor does it view it as particularly heroic. I think it views the character in a very realistic way and understands that maybe this is a, maybe this is a good thing maybe it isn't and in the end it winds up being kind of both as well because i'm going to assume people have seen the movie at this point or they don't mind it being spoiled in the end he winds up you know he does save his wife hmm. but at the same time his beloved kid sidekick is dead along with a lot of other people yeah and so um but he did save his wife and i guess that's all that matters um and I'm saying that kind of facetiously, but the argument that the film does not seem to take a side, and that's one of the things that I like about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and, and I think at some point, all of us, you know, there's there's a uh, a quote that I wrote down here that everybody knows, uh, though they may not immediately know who said it because it gets quoted a lot. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. Now, most people, including myself. They know the first part of the quote. Most men leave, lead lives of quiet desperation. It's like, yeah, yeah, we do. All right, I guess I'll go see a movie or something. <laughs> um, and we'll, But we'll talk about the second part of the quote in a minute. But, uh, but yeah, I'm sure a lot of people... It's one of, the thing, one of the things that I think is great about Super, that though Frank is a little off, as we acknowledge, um, I think what is in his core, this feeling of insignificance and just a hatred of himself because he's not that special. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people probably relate to that. It's probably not to the same 
degree that he does, but yeah. you know, I know I do, and I'm sure some of the listeners do, and I don't know about you, and I don't know how much you're you'd be willing to share. In fact, if you if you do, but I think it's a common thing. Yeah, and I I think it's this is one of the things I was going to talk about that I think points to something interesting in specifically American culture. Well, Western culture, but probably even more so American culture. Um, I, I feel like this the desire to be to be loved is is pretty universal i think mm. um the desire to feel important and the desire to be happy i feel like are are things that kind of plague americans and people in western culture more so than they do he compares himself to children in africa in that mm-hmm. speech and um you don't hear too much about the people starving in third world countries being worried about whether or not they're important. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're, if they're worried about being unhappy, it's probably more, uh, more as a, as a function of their, their need or their want for basic physical, right. basic physical needs. Um, if being happy, if, if being happy is a byproduct of not being miserable, then they'll take that. But exactly. first and foremost, I want to be able to eat. Yeah. And not have you know, and not have a, a terrible disease. If that winds up leading to happiness, <laughs> great. But that's incidental, right? And so the just that idea, those two things: happiness, per, the pursuit of happiness, if you will, and um, and importance are things that I think really more than ever are desires for people in the United States and are problems for people in the United States because. Uh, constant happiness, in my humble opinion, and I think the Bible would would agree with this for for the Christians listening. The, the complete happiness in the world in in life is not possible. Thing there are moments of happiness. There are a lot of things that that right. will bring us happiness, but um, complete and total happiness is not is not a real thing. Right. <laughs> um, and I think that's that's something that a lot of us come up against especially in a culture where we can have so many things where so many options are available um it's almost sometimes i've heard people say things that more options that are available the more more problems we have the tyranny of choices and, oh yeah and we all saw the end of uh the hurt locker <laughs> where he's trying to decide yeah. on a cereal <laughs> yeah but um but just this i this idea that if you want for most people happiness is not something that you have and probably the more that you think about it the more that it's going to bother you that you don't have it at least in the way that you want it um i mean i think that came came to a head in a big way in the last few years with the the occupy wall street thing there were a lot of people who just they don't have the jobs they want they don't have as much money as they want they Mm -hmm. they're just they're unhappy with their situation even though they're not starving children in africa even though they have a lot of things they're not happy they're not they don't feel they're getting the opportunity to pursue happiness in the way that they would like. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that, that Frank is seeing. Um, he, he has two moments of happiness in his life that he can think of. And, um, you know, what else when, when he really questions himself and says, what else, then that's, that's when he really gets into a bad place and gets into, some and, depression. And I do think, especially now, and I can't believe I'm about to go into talking about, you know, the modern internet age and that kind of thing and, <laughs> and complain about it since I have two podcasts. But, um, 
you know, it, at this point, especially in America, where somebody can get they can get famous and they or they become they can become well known relatively easily, or at least in a you know easy easier than it ever has been between you know reality shows and the internet you can be you be, you can become and yeah you can become a sort of a phenomenon not without not by like doing nothing but you can make movies easier than it ever has been you can you can be a musical artist yeah there's a lot of things you can do and that is i think that is that is a good thing but it's also a bad thing because now i think what has been communicated is unless you do that then who are you? Nothing. You're nobody. And that goes to... And associating happiness with importance, I think those have be- become linked. Exactly. And that's what I was about to say. Like, that goes to that other side of it, the, the idea of importance mm-hmm. in, in a culture where it, it is easy to become known and where we are very focused on celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, then if you're not important, then you're... If you're not important in the, in the way that the world sees people as important, then you don't have any worth. Yeah, and it's uh, and it and it becomes this this you know carrot and stick situation where it's just always just out of reach, and it's what it's what keeps you going. It's yeah. what keeps you moving. And some people might say, "Oh, well, that's good because then you're always moving towards something." It's like, yeah, but it also guarantees that you're going to be kind of miserable because yeah. the only way, like the only way that you will achieve true happiness is to be is for you to feel important and the only way for you to feel important is to be reliant on other people to tell you you're important and by the way they need to tell you that constantly yeah and that's the only way you'll be happy it's like that is impossible Mm -hmm. that is a recipe for misery yeah um and and what's more is and this is where we get into one of the themes that i want to talk about regarding this film and the companion film you know, if the only way to be happy is to be important, and and there's such an emphasis on happiness and personal fulfillment and that sort of thing, then a person could be, wind up doing anything in order to be important. Mm-hmm. You know, we hear about it, I mean, especially, I mean, you hear about it these days with, like, people who shoot up movie theaters or shoot up schools. Now, there is an element of crazy there. But you could you go back to uh, you know the guy who shot Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um, he did it to impress Jodie Foster, and we'll get to this in a second. You know, he did it to impress somebody that he he was going to kill somebody important so that he could become so, so that he could impress somebody important and thus become somebody important. Yeah. Um, and you hear that all the time with like if I. So much so that it it, it almost becomes a joke. Uh, I remember on The Simpsons. Um, and I don't even remember what it was, but there was a celebrity who was uh, like taking questions from the audience. And Mo says, is it true that if I kill you, I become you? <laughs> and it's like, it's even a joke now, this idea that like the person who will kill somebody famous so that they can become famous. Yeah. And admittedly, we do know the name of John Wilkes Booth and, uh, you know, Hinckley is the guy that, uh, that killed, uh, I'm sorry, that shot uh, Reagan and... I don't I remember his name actually. 
John Michael Hinckley or something? I don't remember. I, I don't remember the first two. I remember because that's the thing. You know, you, the, you remember the three names of people that actually kill. He merely wounded Reagan, and thus we only remember his last name. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if that's actually true, but I feel like that's what's true for me. Yeah. But um. But yeah, and so uh. So people John Hinckley Jr. John Hinckley Jr. My favorite country artist. <laughs> but um. You know, if, if importance ultimately, if importance is the most if importance is the most important thing, then we'll do anything for it. Suddenly, morality gets kind of thrown out, or you start to justify whatever it takes and say, "No, no, no, this is the moral thing to do." Uh, and that brings me to our uh, companion film, which is uh, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Made in 1976, one of the best movies of all time, and a film that I have grown to love over the years. Uh, written by Paul Schrader, a, a writer and director that I find endlessly fascinating, even mm-hmm. in his failures. And it stars Robert De Niro and Jodie Foster and Peter Boyle, Harvey Keitel, Sybil Shepard, and a number of others. Um, and that story is is fairly similar to Super. Robert De Niro plays a young guy who kind of keeps to himself and he just drives a taxi and he just feels kind of unimportant and he wants to uh, feel not even nationally important. Even sometimes just being important to one person is enough. Yeah. Um, Because and so like and Robert De Niro's character's name is Travis Bickle and Travis is constantly being reminded that he's not. He's really not that important. Like his uh, his fares will talk to him as if he's merely a pair of ears. They don't care about him specifically. They care about uh, themselves through him. Yeah, some of them feel like they just need to say things. Yeah, and he's the yeah he's the one there. Yeah, and he could he might as well be anybody else. There's nothing special about him. And then I have this. Uh, so Peter Boyle is a fellow cab driver. Character's name is Wizard, and. There's a kind of an odd uh, little monologue here in which Wizard gives his philosophy of his own life. There's a lot of uh, sentence fragments here and stuff, so hopefully you'll be able to, uh, to keep up with it. But uh, I will uh, read it now. So Wizard says, and uh, by the way, I did uh, do some censoring here. Um, Wizard says, look at it this way. A man takes a job, you know, and that job, I mean, like that that becomes what he is. You know, like you do a thing and that's what you are. Like I've been a cabbie for 13 years, 10 years at night. I still don't own my own cab. You know why? Because I don't want to. That must that must be what I want, to be on the night shift driving somebody else's cab. You understand? I mean, you become, you get a job, you become the job. One guy lives in Brooklyn, one guy lives in Sutton Place. You got a lawyer, another guy's a doctor, another guy dies, another guy gets well. People are born, you know. I envy you, your youth. Go on, get laid, get drunk, do anything. You got no choice anyway. I mean, we're all screwed, more or less, you know? Like, that is a very sad, sad monologue (laughs) um, in which a guy basically says, nobody's really that important. You are the way people see you. If people see you as a cab driver, that's all you're going to be, really. Mm -hmm. So, and of course, we could spend several episodes on Taxi Driver alone. There's a lot of elements to the film. I love it. I think it's great. Do you do you like it? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's okay. a it's a great film. It's 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 one I need to see more often. Like I haven't seen it that many times, but uh, I, I'm always torn whether between whether it's my favorite Scorsese film or not because I do like Raging Bull a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Mine's Last Temptation of Christ because I'm a Christian, so I'm oh, just really? saying maybe you should 
Maybe you should like you, that one. Wait, wait a minute. You're a Christian? I am a Christian. Oh. Maybe I should have made that clearer to the podcast awards. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that might be your downfall. Oh, that's what it awards, is. Actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I say I was a Christian? I meant I hate them. <laughs> oh, well, here's your award. Uh, no bitterness. No bitterness. <laughs> None at all. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think it's a fantastic film. I think it's one of Robert De Niro's finest performances. I, I almost don't want to say anything about it because it's been said so many times. Like yeah. people, people know uh, all the all the great things about it. All the all yeah. the it's it's one of those ones that's famous for a reason. It has it has become iconic in a lot of ways. But yeah. and uh, you know there are some movies like you know like a Casablanca or Citizen Kane or Godfather or Taxi Driver where you you feel like you've seen it even if you haven't. And then you watch and you're like, I have not. Yeah, it's one that that it it holds up so much that there there's a lot to it every time you view it. It's yeah. not just something that that's just become part of the culture, and then we all just know it because you know it's become part of our common experience as film goers. But there, there's a lot more to it, and and there's just there's so much going on, and so many great performances, and. Uh, and it's, it really is Scorsese at his best because he yeah. is a man who is, especially in the seventies, he was he really was committed to making you know gritty realistic films while also having a, a sense of style yeah. to it. You know, he's not John Cassavetes, he's not mm-hmm. Robert Altman. Like he he's committed to reality, but reality seen through the eyes of his main characters. Yeah, and so the New York that he creates is one that's like. I know that New York was bad in the 70s, but it's like, certainly it couldn't have been this. This is a, the whole city is a slum, apparently, and nobody is good. Everybody is just filthy. There's, you know, smoke coming up from the grates. Uh, But then there's this beautiful Bernard Herrmann score, which, if you know Bernard Herrmann, you know that he did the score for a number of things, including Psycho and uh, the original Cape Fear. And and he, he sort of excels at doing kind of, somewhat bombastic ominous scores Mm -hmm. but he incorporates a kind of a strange jazz quality into taxi driver so there's a weird it's undeniably urban but with this dreadful undertone which is what the movie is in general like you know like you're just watching this guy just cruise through you know this urban jungle but you also know he's cruising towards something awful yeah and it's it's you're seeing that world through his eyes and you're seeing it um as he experiences it, but but the way he, you know, in his performance, he doesn't he doesn't really see any of these things as particularly horrible. Like there are things right. he thinks are good and things he thinks are bad, but he experiences it so much it just kind of like washes over him. He's in yeah. this this sewer of a place, really, and he's just going. It's his day to day. He's just got to go on. I think there is probably you know we mentioned earlier Watchmen. I think there's a lot of uh, Travis Bickle and the character Rorschach who just uh, yeah no I can patrols the city and you know condemns a lot of what he sees. Um, but uh, and that's the thing is Travis Bickle could very well given given enough time, and if he lived in a different time, he could throw on a mask and become Rorschach or yeah. become uh, the Crimson Bolt. You know, yeah. as it is, he does sort of his own thing. And there's a moment where uh, he does feel the need to do something like his his life is moving towards something and he doesn't seem to know what it is but he seems it, it, something is getting pent up inside him and it needs to 
come out. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to come out as an act of violence. And he, you know, gets this giant, very cinematic gun that I think is, I was talking to a friend of ours who uh, loves this film. And he was talking about like, it's the same gun that dirty Harry uses mm-hmm. most notably. And so like the character is, you know, Travis and the way he like talks to the mirror, you know, you talking to me like that whole thing. Like, he does seem to want an audience. Like he's sort of rehearsing a part that he feels like he desperately wants to play. Yeah. And, and he just needs to go out and do something. And it's weird because he targets a politician and then that doesn't work out. So then he goes after a like pimp and, and drug dealer and just, uh, just a low life played by Harvey Keitel. And so he go, he winds up going after somebody that society would say is bad, but that's, that's almost incidental. Like yeah, he was going to go after somebody and he only went after the bad guy because the, the other one didn't work out. Like he doesn't seem to matter that much. Ultimately, yeah, to I him. think that that's the major kind of divergence between these two films in, in, uh, in their main character is that Frank and super is really trying to do he, his goal all along is to do something good and it mm-hmm. gets a little muddled and what he's doing isn't quite good yeah. <laughs> is downright bad at times but seems good to yeah. him at least whereas Travis Bickle just he needs to do something and uh, he, he gets to a point where he's going to do whatever whatever kind of comes to him and that's and it is one of those things that like yes Frank is very much focused on doing good and all that but at the same time it is still a vigilante kind of thing which ultimately focuses on what he views to be good and bad right not necessarily an objective sense although there's probably a lot of overlap there right. but you know there's but, a scene that is funny and then disturbing where a guy he's Frank is waiting in line for a movie and then a guy cuts in line or butts I'm sorry no butts <laughs> So he butts in line and Frank confronts him and the guy's a jerk about it. And so Frank leaves the line, puts on his costume, comes back. Everybody knows who he is. He's the guy that just left. Uh, And then he just smashes his head with uh, uh, the wrench and then winds up hitting the woman that he's with, with the wrench in the face. And in that moment, like, it's funny, but it's also very disturbing. And you realize, like, oh, this, like... You know, when you're on this quest to kind of make a difference and and to to matter, and the most important thing is the fact that you matter and that people and that you are visible and all that sort of thing, then other stuff starts to fade away. Like the idea that maybe maybe smashing somebody's head with a wrench is not a proper punishment for them butting in line. Yeah. Well, then at that point, also anyone who is getting in your way. Yeah. Yeah, because you are the the harbing, harbinger of good, because you're the you know the one who is there to make everything. I don't know, <laughs> because because you're the hero, then anyone who gets in your way has to be the villain, right. even if that's even if that means cutting in line in front of right. you. And, and it uh, does it does come from a place of of self centeredness. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to matter, you specifically, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be important. There's nothing wrong with with these things like we all like you said we all want to be loved we want to be needed that's that's a very human thing i don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with it but when it becomes the ultimate thing then you do become accountable only to yourself yeah and whoever and like you said there are objective villains people that commit crimes and do terrible things and then there's just the people that bother you and ultimately he's treating them exactly the same yeah um you can't really tell just in the same way it's like well, like Travis Bickle goes after the uh, the drug dealer and pimp, 
but just as easily could have gone after the politician because that's not what matters. What matters is, is everyone knows who Travis Bickle is now. Right. I matter. Yeah. Um, and so what I wanted to talk about, because I'm glad that you focused in on the idea of happiness, because one thing that comes up a lot in Christian circles is the idea of happiness versus contentment. Mm-hmm. Constant happiness is impossible. Contentment, however, or one could call it joy, uh, that is deeper and that is possible. Happiness, I think, is is contingent on uh, your external circumstances, things going your way. Joy is about something inside you, something a choice that you're making even when things aren't going your way. And that's not to say that you will be, you know, you, you can be unhappy, you can be sad and mournful and depressed while still having a joy underneath that will carry you through and one of the things that i like about super and of course it's still kind of an ambiguous ending but he ultimately does save his wife but then his wife leaves him and so it's like oh so what do we do now but at that point he has found a certain contentment and realizes that he doesn't have to matter whether it be to the world or to this one person there's something bigger and then then you see that his whole wall is filled with drawings. It yeah. was just the two, and now it's everything. And they're mundane activities, like yeah. conversations he's had with toll booth attendants and mechanics and waitresses and stuff. Yeah. Um, and just, just these all these small moments of, of happiness. Yeah. And to see... Uh, to be able to have small moments of happiness and, and enjoy those and move on is much more healthy than fixating on... Yeah the happiest moment and feeling like everything has to be as good as that. And ultimately his live Tyler, she, he does save her and she leaves him. And then she goes on to find a guy who's better able to meet her needs. And then she has children with him and she lives a happy life. And it would have been given what we know of Frank, it would have been very possible for him to become bitter about that and be like, she wouldn't have been able to do any of that, any of that. If I didn't save her, she's so ungrateful, but he doesn't. In fact, instead he says, you know, I, she wouldn't have been, he does say like, none of that, would, maybe none of that would have happened if not for me. And by the way, I think he does specify maybe it wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he recognized that maybe like she is in the grand scheme of things, maybe she is doing more important things than he is, but he played a role and that's where he matters. Mm-hmm. And I will take that and expound upon it. And And from a Christian standpoint, this idea that like, you know, if you make it all about you, then if you fail, it's the end of the world. Yeah. Or if somebody rejects you, it's the end of the world. And by the way, I'm speaking to myself just as much as anybody else. Um, but if you are one part of God's plan, then if you fail, he's going to do okay either way and loves you nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And so you you can, you don't have to be crushed when things don't go your way or if, or if you're not the most important person in the room or whatever. Yeah. Or also our, our own idea of success and failure is, is, you know, we can only see that from within our own minds and God mm-hmm. sees a much bigger picture. And so things that we might see as successes or sorry, as failures, he might see as successes. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a number of uh, verses here. The first I was actually, it's interesting. I was planning on uh, going with this one anyway. And then on church this past Sunday, uh, our pastor, uh, quoted it uh, for his sermon, so I will link to that sermon in the uh, show notes. Um, I don't remember necessarily the name of it, but it basically is about God's love and and our significance and God and all that. So uh, it's Luke fifteen verses four through seven. Uh, Josh, I'll let you read that. Sure. Uh, 
Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that it is the same way, there, that in the same way there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Uh, and then oddly enough, the reason that I do so love that... Uh that passage is what it brings up in me. And then of course our pastor talked about that specifically where you look at that and your first thought is like, well, in true selfish human form, you look at that like, well, I guess screw the 99 then, (laughs) you know, I guess they're not that important. And, uh, and then of course that's very similar to the attitude of the prodigal son's brother. Uh, and that sort of thing. Um, but it's also, and this is something that I like about uh, about our pastor and what he said is that he emphasized, you know, we all act as though we're the ninety nine, and then and that we're being forsaken or taken for granted by God for the sake of the person that has screwed things up. And it's like, no, 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 we've all been that one sheep mm-hmm. at some point. Like, stop focusing on these on these sheep over here and focus on this one. You are that one, really, at any given point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. And the, the, the emphasis is that, you know, we talked with, with Reed last, uh, last episode about very few of us, we all sort of, uh, we all kind of agree that this, that the idea of, you know, Jesus would have died even if we were, if, if only for one person. And we're like, that sounds nice. I don't think I believe that, but that sounds nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this verse says is, yes, that is what will happen. You know, like we focus on the specifics of the analogy, like the 99 versus the one. And the, the emphasis, the point is one, an individual person matters and is loved by God. So uh, and then I will read uh, another passage from Luke. This is Luke 12 verses six through seven are not five sparrows sold for two pennies. Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And so that speaks to, you know, that just emphasizes that we are, it's not merely that we are loved by God and matter by God, but that he knows us very specifically, you know, and it's, it's one thing that I like is it talks about the hairs of your head are all numbered. And then Frank in his prayer says this stupid hair that won't comb, (laughs) you know, and I just, I, I like the, uh, looking at those two, like, the thing, the things that you hate are things that God is is very intimately aware of, mm-hmm. uh, and He loves that. Yeah, and He loves you. Um, and then, uh, and as I've said, by the way, with me, I know that I sometimes feel like, yeah, yeah, God loves me, but that's a function. That's as a, as a default. He said He would love everybody, and I'm in corp- I'm included in that, and that's why He loves. <laughs> Just me. because you're part of of the uh, yeah. Of the mass, which incidentally, so is everyone else. <laughs> right. Yes. But, you know, that in my in my desire to matter and be special, I fail to realize that I already am special, but so is everybody else. And we we tend to act as though that is like, well, if everybody's special, nobody's special. And it's like, well, that's not really how God works. Yeah. But, um, okay. So, uh, a couple more passages. We'll go with this. Now, this is, uh, it kind of skips around a little bit. Um, this is Psalms... 139 verses 13 and 14 and then 17 and 18 so uh josh go right ahead 
I, I don't know where these breakups are in the of verses. So if you, you know, I usually do an ellipses, and I didn't this time. That's I'm right. sorry. If you're following along in your Bible, which I like to think that families sit down around the around the computer with yeah. a blazing fire going. Yeah, like Bible the old out. days. This yeah. is our own fireside chat. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh. Yeah. But here, here goes. Um, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Okay. So that speaks once again to this idea that like you are... And, you know, like I said, a lot of this is for me, and maybe you guys can, you guys can listen in if you want. Um, but the idea that like... It's not just default, it's you. He loves you. That is not to say, and the idea of like, you know, you knit me together in my mother's womb, that does not, that's not to imply that you are perfect Mm -hmm. and that, well, God did it, so everything, you you are not fallen and everything's fine. That's not the issue. The issue is that he did the things that you're good at and even the things that you struggle at, like that is part of who you are. And... And God loves that. And so, like, it's not just because you are a blank human and he just said he'd love them all. It's, you know, Josh Long, Tyler Smith, you at home, he loves you and knows you. And even if you were the only one, even if you were the lost sheep, he st- Jesus still would have died for you. You matter very much. So uh, I will do this and we'll we'll sort of come to an end on this. Uh, This is Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 21, which I will read. I pray that one of his, sorry, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so... uh, I wanted to have the whole thing because I tend to like uh, the way uh, Paul's letters end. But um, this idea of like, one of the reasons I like Paul is that he's not subtle. Um, and there's some there are some things in the Bible that are subtle and then there are some that are not. <laughs> and I like that he really tries to emphasize things. It's like, I, I want you to grasp how wide and long <laughs> and high and deep, like he just, he just, keeps laying it on like that and the fact that there are no commas i love that because it's just really trying to emphasize it's all of these things um like that is how that is the love of christ and it's for you specifically you matter already you don't have to do extreme things in order to feel important um, because you already are important and what's more is once you accept that and by the way if you manage to uh do this totally uh email me and tell me how because i don't um (laughs) But once you accept that, then you might still go on to do great things, or you might go on to just be a math teacher or a plumber or a short order cook, 
who has a rabbit that he loves. You know, that's the end of uh, Super there. But, uh, and, but knowing that you are loved, you're no longer so eager to impress other people and be needed or loved by them. It's great if you are. That's, that's fun. It's great. But it's not the ultimate thing that you are willing to do anything to get. Um, and then suddenly your whole, you know, to use the analogy, the wall that you look at for inspiration is no longer just these two photos. And if one of them gets taken down, you're screwed. Mm. The wall is full where every day there's something in there to make you happy because underneath it all is a real joy and a contentment and a knowledge that you matter. So I think we'll end on that. Um, this series will continue into next episode. And what I, what I will say in advance is that the movie we'll be talking about is a movie called struck by lightning. I do not like this movie. Just giving you guys a heads up so so much. So, so much so that basically the next thing that we'll be talking about, because in this, we talk about the idea that you matter, that you are loved by God. Next episode, we are going to say, guess what? Other people are, too. It's not just you. <laughs> yeah. We're going to say, slow down for a minute. Yeah. Well, got, so Got you going on that, how great you are. Yeah. Thing. And so I'm sure some people are like, struck by lightning. What is that? It's a very small film. It's really not that. It's not, it's not well known at all, but it is currently on demand, and it is being released in theaters this week. So uh, if you want to see it for a frame of reference, great. I feel like everybody should, as a reminder, as a reminder of a, a movie just being, or like filmmakers just getting so focused on what they're trying to do that they fail to recognize what they're actually doing. But that's neither here nor there. But that's the more people that see it, the more money the movie makes. I know. So there's that. You know, sometimes so it's... Here's the thing. Get it on demand. Get as many... Find everyone you know who who, who needs to see it for this reason we're talking right. about. And uh, get as many of them into a room and watch it. And that's it. Yeah. And then everybody can chip in like 20 cents. So, yeah. um Okay. So that's this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, you can go to morethanonelesson.com, and you can read uh, you know, new blogs. I will link to the sermon that uh, kind of coincides with this episode. I will link to that in the show notes. Uh, you can go and uh, sign up for the newsletter. Check out uh, The Unemployed Mind. Uh, buy a copy of For the Title. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can email me. Tyler at more than one le- more than one lesson.com or Josh at more than one lesson.com. I will you- answer your emails. I promise. I'll do what I can. <laughs> so, uh, you can, uh, join the Facebook group. Uh, just type in more than one lesson. It'll pop right up. Or you can, you can find all this stuff through more than one lesson.com. Anyway, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash more lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh Long. At the Josh Long, if you want to see uh, photos of uh, his Christmas. No, I guess that's more his wife. Yeah, I yeah. haven't I haven't tweeted anything for a long time, so I apologize to my many many followers. <laughs> hey, you have more than you used to. I do have more than I used to, but it's all happening. Um. So yeah, I need to just you know what? Uh, why, why don't you guys DM me or uh, at me or whatever it is? Uh, tell me tell me what you want to hear about from me. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know what to tweet. Josh, about a lot what of did times. you think about this? I might do that. I might be like, "Hey, I didn't like 
some yeah sure whatever just i didn't just, like struck by lightning people just, can be I'm, like what did you think of that lunch you had and i'll be like i didn't know you were in my house but it was great you should just start tweeting about your lunch just every day for like every a, every day just try a thing yeah right maybe i take a picture of it and i say lunch and then i put the date exactly people definitely will follow for that sort of thing i would people want to know what i mean people you know what i get more I've gotten I, it's been a while since I've done this but I got more positive responses to live tweeting my 4am trip to Ralph's than for almost anything else I've done <laughs> well it's really because anyone else who was up at 4 o'clock was just looking for something to do and they were like oh I think people give me more credit tweeting. I think people are like oh that's genius and it's like well no it's me being silly <laughs> often genius comes out of boredom <laughs> but uh, anyway so um but yeah, you can find us at uh, those various places, um, and then be sure to uh, to tune in next week. Uh, thank you all for listening, Josh. Thanks for being here. Thank you, and I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.